0: Hello everyone, you're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 11, recorded in September 2011. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stehoviak. And I'm Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, it is getting towards the end, almost the official end of summer here. And that means we're well into the fall and the start of the new school year at Vanguard University.
1: We are in full swing and it's great to have students back on campus and my office is full every day because they want to do something to make a difference.
0: And it's a good time for us to talk about, before we jump in today's topic, on really looking at the frontline issues of how um, we can all work to really fight against human trafficking. I thought we'd take a few minutes maybe to talk a, uh, talk a bit about what the Center is doing this year to really support advocacy against human trafficking, but also some of the other things that you're working on and projects you're involved with. And uh, the center had its first board meeting this week, and we all got together. And I'm just tremendously excited about all of the things that the center has planned for this year. So I was wondering if you could maybe just take a couple of moments to share with us and the audience a few things that you're up to this year, in addition to the podcast, obviously, here and your teaching that uh, the center's focused on.
1: Well, uh, over the summer, we were able to host four women faculty from a Northern Iraq University. And one of the exciting aspects of that is we went to Washington, D.C. We were able to meet with a team from the Global Trafficking in Persons Office in the State Department. And as a result of that, we'll be able to develop some partnership research in that region on human trafficking.
0: It was really exciting to meet the uh, uh, the women this summer and to to hear their stories and uh, really just an amazing, uh, amazing group of folks you've had.
1: And this is one of the, the key things about the Global Center for Women and Justice is through research and education, we can impact our own community, our nation and our world and make a difference. Um, one of the things we're doing locally, because of course, it's exciting to see what we're doing over in Iraq, but what about right here? And coming up in November, we're going to host a homeless sleepout to raise awareness about the issue of homeless youth. And right here in California, according to um, state reports, there are 200,000 Juveniles, 12 to 17, who are homeless. Hmm. We want to raise awareness about that and bring attention and dialogue to what we're going to do about that. Because prevention of um, homelessness among youth is a key factor in preventing trafficking of youth. Hmm. And what is a homeless sleepout? I've never been to one of those. Well, we're going to invite our students and anybody in our community who'd like to join us to bring their sleeping bag. We're going to have a contest on who can build the best cardboard shelter. Oh, interesting. We're probably going to eat um, soup. Um, we, might, we might figure out how to get some um, day-old bread for breakfast, but we're going to figure out what it feels like to sleep mm. outside to not have a place to go home to.
0: So really a lot of things on the agenda, and I know tons more that we don't have a chance to talk about here today, but just a a tremendous number of things that you're doing, not only on the local level here in Southern California, but really across the country and across the globe to really be an advocate for women and men around this issue of really ending human trafficking and doing it in a substantial and a proactive way.
1: And we're really focusing on equipping people by providing training and education, training and education. We're already training this year's group of live to free students who are already scheduled to do the orange County high school leadership conference called walk in my shoes. They'll go to high schools. They'll go to junior highs, equipping and training um, leaders in outreach frontline service providers and nationally as well so that's what we're up to
0: and this podcast is part of that mission of really equipping people and helping people to study the issues and educating this audience on what it is what it means uh, you know certainly what what's involved with human trafficking and to understand the issues but also to really understand how we can work against human trafficking and uh, that's actually going to lead us into our topic exactly. today as far as what exactly. are what are some of the frontline things that, that we can do. And as you're listening, you may have some questions for us. And so if you have a question or comment about something we're talking about today or you have a question about human trafficking that you'd like us and Sandy in particular to address on a future show, uh, please email us. You can reach us by email at gcwj at vanguard.edu, or you can call 714-556-3610, and the center's extension is 2242. So again, that's 714-556-3610, extension 2242, and that way you can reach us, and we can be of service to you in helping to learn as much about human trafficking so you can be of service to others and that really does bring us right to our topic sandy today of some of the frontline things that people can do and so i was wondering if you could just give us a a high level overview what do you mean by frontline frontline activities i am so
1: excited to talk about that dave because i have begun to understand that people think the frontline often is um around the victims of human trafficking. And so I get calls a lot from people wanting to know, how can I be a volunteer to help the victims? How can I go um, to a shelter in Thailand or Ukraine or Africa and help the victims? And I, I couldn't exactly put my finger on why that was disturbing for me until I realized um, if I look at this, From a battle strategy perspective, we are at war. We're in the fight against human trafficking. Then I have to redefine what is the front line. I'm a nurse. I know that we don't keep our victims on the front line, our casualties in war. We take them behind the front lines and keep them in a safe place and provide everything they need to put them back on their feet so the front line is not in victim services we need lots of help with victim services Mm -hmm. where is the front line that's what we want to talk about Um, a few weeks ago I was in Las Vegas meeting with juvenile justice officials there who are serving children youth who have been arrested for juvenile prostitution that is the front line um, I have I've been in Greece where I first started working against human trafficking and walking down the street and seeing literally children in the doorways of legal brothels. That is the front line. I've been to India and I've been to Thailand and I've been to Ukraine and I see the front line there. But I also see the front line right here in Orange County. And when I spoke to local law enforcement recently and discovered that 16 girls under age between 12 and 17, 16 just in the last few months have been rescued from commercial sexual exploitation, and 13 of their pimps have been arrested and are being prosecuted. That is the front line right here. How do we do that better? That didn't happen because of building shelters. That happened because of training and equipping frontline service providers. That meant educating school nurses so that they knew what to look for, the risk factors. It meant providing law enforcement training to local police departments and sheriff's departments so that they would be able to identify what this new law calls human trafficking, but is a very, very old crime. We had old laws that addressed these same issues, and now we have new laws with more teeth, and we need to learn how to use those. That Mm. requires training and education. But for the everyday person who isn't a law enforcement officer, who isn't in a frontline service provider position, where is the front line for that person? How about for you? How would you identify your role in the battle against human trafficking?
0: For me personally, Sandy, yeah, my front line is right here. Ah, so my front line is assisting you in hosting this podcast because this is something that I can do with my, you know, technological. You know, I wouldn't. I don't know if I, expertise is the right word, but I'd certainly, certainly know how as far as how to get information out on the internet and how to, you know, get the audio right and the editing and all that. And so, um, I think I may have mentioned this even on a previous podcast that I was looking for a while on what was the right niche for me to be able to serve and to help educate people. And I believe strongly in the power of education. And I know you're a huge believer in that too, working at Vanguard and and running the center. And the more that we can educate people, I know education has been phenomenally valuable in my life as far as how I'm able to influence the world. And I believe that if we can educate people well through this podcast, that we arm people with the tools and the resources that they need to go out and make a difference. And if I'm hearing you right, and, and I think I am, that it's, it's it's certainly a worthy thing to help out victims. That's, that's a great thing that we need to do and there need to be resources, but that that's not necessarily ending human trafficking. That, that's exactly. kind of the, the reactive step after you know, after a crime has been committed. And, and certainly we need to serve those people. And the, and the people who do that are just incredibly wonderful people. And we know many of them who do that work. Um, and in addition to that, if we really want to end human trafficking, which is the title of this podcast and really what we're all trying to do, is it's not enough just to serve victims. That's the, exactly. that's the aftermath. So what can we do to really be proactive? And I see my role in this podcast of of helping to do that. And I think that your call to action today for all of us is to what are some of the ways and the tools that we can be proactive to be doing things that will prevent it from happening in the first place?
1: Exactly. There's a great story from a mental institution in India, and they asked the director, how do you know when these people are ready to go home when they're sane? and the you know you're in a rural area probably the people aren't very literate and the director said it's very simple we take a bucket outside we put it under the faucet we turn the faucet on and then we give the patient a teaspoon and ask them to empty the bucket and if they start emptying the bucket without turning off the faucet they get to stay but if they turn the faucet off first they go home and we are mm. on the front line and the front line is turning off the faucet. So we have to identify where the stream is coming from where is the handle for the faucet? And there are a few key areas where people can find their place on the front line using their skills like you have.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, let's hear about them. What uh, what can we do and what can our audience do that would start to address some of these areas?
1: Demand reduction is huge. Dr. Laura Letter of Global Centurion, and that's globalcenturion.org, has been a leading voice on demand reduction and, in fact, uh, partnered with uh, Vanguard's Global Center for Women and Justice back in 2007 for a a demand reduction round table and Mm. we began to explore what are the ways that we can reduce demand turn off the faucet and there are lots of different things that we can do some of those things have to do with media with the internet with um pornography with child obscenity laws um, How do we begin to raise up a generation of young men and women who respect the differences between male and female and don't look at ways to exploit each other? How do we begin to do that? That's all part of demand reduction. One of the um, areas that have been addressed in demand reduction has been in opening what they Call colloquially, John Schools. Um, Norma Hotaling did the one of the first ones up in San Francisco. And men who are arrested for um, um, being soliciting prostitution mm-hmm. are asked to go, required to go as a first offender, first offender program to a school and learn about the harms of prostitution in an effort to reduce recidivism, so that they won't go back and do the same thing again. Um, those are just some of the, the areas in demand reduction. In our cities, um, asking our newspapers not to advertise for shady and borderline um, uh, commercial sex ads. I, I was interviewed by the LA Times a few years ago, and they actually in print said, when I told the Teaspoon and faucet story, that this lady thinks that she can actually end this. And uh, yeah, I guess I am crazy enough because I think if there are enough people who agree with me that this, we've had enough, we don't want this to be this way in our media, in our television, in our newspapers, in my community, that we can, by our demand in a different direction, we can change what is valuable in the marketplace because we all know it's driven by money. People want to make a profit. And if there's no profit, in something they're going to find a different way. So marketplace uh, demand reduction is critical. That's why we need business people involved.
0: Mm. So I think one of the things our audience may be thinking, and I know I am a little bit sandy, even though I know a little bit more about this issue than maybe the average person does, um, is, okay, so I'm, I'm listening to, to you talk about that, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, it, what can I do? So, if I'm, if I'm just kind of the, if, if I'm sitting listening to this episode here, you know, in South Florida or uh, Boston, Massachusetts or Las Vegas, Nevada, what, what can I do today? What can I do to go out there that's not just serving victims? And again, it's a very valuable thing to do, but what can I do really on the, the front line? Uh, are, are there things that you would advise for, for us to go and, and to look at?
1: Well, I think um, when we decide that we're going to join the battle, we join a troop. If you're in the Army, you, you become part of a team of soldiers, and you begin to develop battle strategies, and you figure out who all is, on, is in your troop, in your platoon. I'm not really great at Army analogies, but I do know that you have to go through training, you practice, 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 and then you're deployed. And there are... Um, There are specific roles and everybody needs to play their role. And when I look at uh, developing a battle strategy to fight human trafficking, I made a list of who I think I need in my army. And here's just a few of them. I need businessmen and women who are creating sustainable models for jobs to do prevention. Uh, uh, Our last podcast, we interviewed a young couple cindy and her husband chris in honduras building a factory building a business selling tegu toys tegu is such
0: a great example of, isn't that, of that in action isn't it
1: that's business and businessmen and women on the front line Yeah. educators obviously we've talked about prevention and, and equipping new professionals and i'm i'm so proud of my vanguard alum nicole who's an ice agent now Um uh, I was on the front line equipping her for that role. Mm-hmm. Healthcare professionals, these people identify victims that are um, walking into their clinics and are invisible because we haven't asked them the right questions. Uh, spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders really have their hand on the faucet. They drive the um, the will of people to, to fight things like pornography and uh, exploitation of our kids political leaders, policy, legislation, law enforcement. It, it was an amazing thing for me to do um, a community service organization meeting um, uh, last year. And here I am talking to women who are basically housewives. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm not really on the front line here. And then I talked about a law enforcement training that was going to be happening in the next month that I was part of. Afterwards, two of the women came up and they wanted to know, are there any of our police officers signed up to go to that training? And I looked at them and I said, well, no. The next morning I got a phone call and there were two officers from that police department signing up to do the training because mm. our, our community services respond to the residents. In the community, and these women wanted this to be high priority in their city, and so their law enforcement. So we use our influence in order to fight on the front line as well. So,
0: so many different uh, different aspects of how we can be helpful, and depending on our professional background and who we are, and what level of expertise we have, we can contribute in a lot of ways. And boy, you've mentioned uh, you know seven or eight professions here: business folks, educators, healthcare professionals, spiritual leaders. I know one of the things people could do as far as the training piece you mentioned first is being key, is training yourself, understanding these issues first before you start to go out and, and to to take action. Um, so certainly listening to this podcast hopefully is one way for people to train themselves and to understand more about the uh, the challenges that that are a part of this issue and understand some of the tools and resources. In addition to that, what else can, can I do if I'm in the community and saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of the, the lay person. I just found out about this issue. I don't want, I want to do something. I want to train and educate myself. What can I do? Well, one of the first things
1: is to find out who is doing something in your community Mm. here in Orange County. We have the Orange County human trafficking task force partnering with other people who have already acquired the skill, the training, the background is a great way to be initiated into this battle. And they train you. For instance, um, many organizations that have volunteer opportunities in this battle require training. There's always background checks and things like that that are required. I think that um, we, we, have this idea I have to quit what I'm doing and go off to battle. But if we can do like you are and setting aside a couple hours a month to contribute to this, that is a great model for sustainability and for effectiveness because we continue to benefit because you continue to hone your skills and every time um, we record, you've you've improved what we're doing. Right. Um and so here's here's a couple of examples our lift to free students at Vanguard, they have very little resources. They are university students. They will probably leave university with some school debt. How are they going to go out and do a massive awareness campaign in our community? Well, they partner with Health and Human Services Look Beneath the Surface campaign in Washington, D.C. They go online. They order the posters that have the 888-3737-888 number. They order the materials that train frontline service providers, then they become the distribution force. I worked uh, for years in humanitarian relief, and I learned that uh, we will, from the West, send containers of resources to a a hard-hit disaster relief effort someplace in the world. But if there are no troops on the ground to distribute that food, the clothing, then it will sit in the containers and not reach the people who need it. So sometimes all we need are willing people who will give their hands and their feet and their time, like these Live to Free students, to partner with those who have the resources. And what I love about how Live to Free students operate, they take those those materials out, deliver them to programs like, for instance, all of the librarians in Orange County received packets, and in each of those packets were instructions to order those posters and materials for themselves. And now you can walk into a library and see rescue, restore, look beneath the surface materials up on the wall.
0: Hmm. I I really am struck by that example, Sandy, because I think that one of the challenges that I know I've heard you speak about before that people do when they find out about an issue like this, like hum- ending human trafficking and something that I mean, this is an issue that pulls at everybody's heartstrings and Mm -hmm. so many people hear about it and they want to do something right away and they make a very quick decision as to how they're going to help. And they don't necessarily build that network and connect with other organizations and really educate themselves first. And they go out and they're very well intended and they try to do something and they end up doing something that either isn't helpful or in some cases maybe even harmful to the efforts on ending human trafficking. And so so it sounds like part of the best practices here, really, and we've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, is to really go out and educate yourself first and partner with other organizations and find out what the needs are that you can support ongoing efforts versus uh, just kind of flying blind.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, that um, National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline number, 888-3737-888, the word resource center phrase in that is very important and you can call that Dave and ask them is there anybody in my community that I can partner with where is my local task force is oh, there a coalition um is there um someone that I can call in that's not too far away that could come and do training with my organization if you're if you're on the program committee for a community service organization start by hosting a professional that's working against human trafficking to come in and train your group on how they can partner. I um, I was invited out to San Jacinto uh, to do a training, and I I really didn't know too much about the community group, but the leader was a young man full of enthusiasm for justice, and he said, make sure everybody has something in their hand to take out when they leave and do something about it. And I looked around my office and I'm thinking, I've gotta take something for a thousand people. And I looked on my shelves and I had more than a thousand posters from the National um, Office Rescue Restore. So I packed up my car, took the posters, and as people were leaving, everybody took at least one. Some people Mm. came back and asked for more. I had to mail more out there. Two weeks later, I got a phone call it was a woman who had been at that meeting and she worked for Greyhound buses. She said, Okay, we put it up in our, po- up the poster up in our Greyhound bus station. Think about a Greyhound bus station and the possibility of victims. Three of our victims that were um, brought to Orange County by a pimp who lured them online uh, were sent bus tickets. What if they had seen a poster like they put up in that bus station? And so, um, as a result of that woman putting the poster up in her bus station, the um, leaders of that or that group called and they wanted a, a package of posters for all of their Greyhound bus stations. Wow. That's because if we equip people with the resources and you partner, and it's really good good business sense too, because your tax dollars paid for those posters and your tax dollars pay to keep that 888-3737-888 number functioning.
0: And I didn't know, I thought that was just a like a crisis hotline. If you, you know, you see something just a call, but it sounds like it's, it's really bigger than that. So you can, you could call that number and really educate yourself on what's in your community and what resources are already there and who to connect with. And, uh, and particularly if you're in an area of the country that you may not have, uh, you may not know what your resources are. Sounds like that's a great place to start.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, that's great, very cool. So um, I do want to also mention that as we proceed through uh, these podcasts in the coming months, we're going to address specific issues that I believe are frontline strategies. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about internet safety, children and internet use. We're going to talk about single moms, teen moms. We're going to look at some of the places that we haven't traditionally um, associated with frontline strategies against human trafficking.
0: And so we're gonna tackle those here in the coming months and the coming podcasts, and uh, before even uh, before we end our episode today, Sandy, uh, we should tell our audience about something exciting that's coming up here in just a few episodes. This is episode number eleven, and uh, and episode number thirteen, we are going to do something very different than we've been doing. And uh, lucky number thirteen, right? Right, that's right. So Sandy and I both believe that uh, thirteen doesn't have any uh, sinister qualities attached to <laughs> it. We actually both like the day de- the number thirteen. I'm still trying to understand why in the United States here we don't have uh, floor thirteen on buildings. <laughs> yeah, ever it's yeah. it's it comes rather after amusing. after
1: twelve and just before fourteen. I, I gets guess so. Me someplace.
0: Yeah. So, but uh, but lucky episode number thirteen actually, ironically, is also going to be airing on October thirteenth of uh, 2011 here this year, and we're going to do something different. Rather than having a topic that we bring to that episode, we are going to do an all question and answer show. And so what that means is we're going to be calling on you, our audience, to call in or to email in your questions in advance. And Sandy is going to respond to as many questions as we can during that show to uh, really hear from you, our audience, on what's important to you. What do you want to know about human trafficking? What do you want to know about the resources that are out there? What questions have been burning in your mind since you've listened to these episodes, and you've probably listened to a few if you're hearing uh, this episode already, and what do you want to know? And so there's a couple of ways that you can reach out to us. You've got uh, some time before we air that episode in October but uh, don't hesitate on getting your question in early because we want to get your question on the show. And the best way to do that is to email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or you can call the center, right, Sandy?
1: Right. You can call 714-556-3610 extension 2242. And when you call, if there's no one there to take your call, that's okay. Leave a voicemail because we'll be able to use your voicemail on the program to
0: ask the question. And we will respond to as many questions as we can. So take a moment uh, after finishing listening to this episode and send us a quick email. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, by the way, you're certainly welcome to send us an email on future topics and, and, and suggestions and comments as well. But for sure, we do want to get your questions so we can be sure to answer those in episode number 13.
1: And I want to thank those of you who have sent encouraging emails and told us what you're doing with the knowledge and education that you're gaining from listening to the podcast. I was really encouraged recently by a young woman who sent an email and told us she's able to use this podcast in preparing her testimony to go before Congress on behalf
0: of commercially sexually exploited children. Such an incredible story, isn't it? Yeah,
1: makes me glad I'm doing this. And I want to thank you, Dave.
0: Well, we are uh, going to be out of time here for this episode. I actually hit the wrong band here, Sandy. So we're going to try this again with a much better. Uh, All right. There's our Thank music. You. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. And again, if you have comments or questions for us, reach out to us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or give us a call. And we will see you again in two weeks for episode number 12. Thanks, Sandy. Bye-bye.